Good morning. You guys can hear me well? Yeah, my mic's on. All right, again, for those who don't know me, name's Kevin. I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa. That's why I got this funny accent. And uh, I tend to speak really quick. So if I do go too quick this morning, please just raise your hand and slow me down because it will be done here in 10 minutes the way I speak. <laughs> Amen. So as we know, it's the first week of Advent. And uh, Sean and family are away this week, and he wanted me to start off with the Advent. Does anybody know what Advent means? Say again. Coming. coming. There we go. Very good. Yeah, it means coming. I didn't even know that. I have to go look it up <laughs> myself. Um, I didn't grow up in church, so I'm not familiar with all these Christianese words. But from Latin, we get the word Adventus, Advent, which means coming. So basically, it's a time of preparation for the celebration and birth of Jesus Christ, and for Christmas, obviously, at Christmas when he was born, and also for the second coming of Christ. So we're going to start looking into that this morning. Um, to start the, looking at the, the event of Jesus and why he came, we have to go right back to the beginning to figure out, well, why did Jesus come? Why was the need for Jesus to come? So we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Bible and to Genesis. And I'm going to do it old school today. I'm not going to be doing slides like we usually do, probably because I was too lazy to make slides. So we're going to go into our Bibles, and we're going to follow along, right? So if you look behind your pews, there's a bunch of Bibles there. It's the same translation as I'll be using. It's the New King James Version. <clears throat> so as it's the start of the new Christian year, uh, we're going to start contemplating on both the beginning of time and the end of time. All right, so when time started and what it's going to look like at the end, at Jesus' second coming, and the new earth and the new heaven coming to earth. So I'm just going to open up in prayer. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are the root descendant of David, the bright morning star, and I believe you are coming soon, Lord Jesus. So Lord, today we come to your mountain, to the place of your presence, that you may teach us your ways and that we may walk in your paths. You, O Lord, have promised to come and make all things new, to dwell among us as, your, as our God and embrace us as your people, to wipe every tear from our eyes to remove from us all pain, so that we may live forever in peace and security. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> right, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 1. Right, it's the very first book in the Bible. I've got things falling out my Bible here. I'm, going to, I'm not going to read through the whole of the book of Genesis. <laughs> It'll take a while. I'm going to self-narrate, paraphrase Genesis 1, and then we're going to look at Genesis 2 together and read that. But I want you to contemplate the beginning of time, right? I can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're family, right? He's a father, he has a son, and he has his spirit, and they're three in one. I can just imagine them sitting there one day and saying, it'll be great to have some children, right? And so let us go and create some children. But first we need a place for them to live. You know, we know a lot of our scientists say that there was a big bang in the beginning and then all things came to be. I kind of agree with them in a way. The reason why is because we have an awesome God, right? In the beginning of Genesis, it says that he was hovering over the waters and it was void and it was dark. And then Jesus, I mean, at least God commanded, he said, let there be light. And out of his booming voice came a thunderous roar. 
atoms started to split apart. There's a nuclear fusion going on. There's a huge bang, kaboom. So there was a big bang, right? God spoke and there was a bang. And all of a sudden, creation started coming in being and there was light. So there had to be a sun for there to be light. And I, I tell you, when I look into creation, I get astounded at times. It's like, I was just asking my kids the other day, how does the sun keep burning? Yeah, have you ever thought of that? That thing's been burning for thousands of years, right? If you're going to make a fire in your fireplace, when the fuel's done, the fire's done, right? That thing just keeps burning super hot, and it's thousands and thousands of miles away from us, but we still feel the heat of it. And plus, it's burning in a vacuum. There's no oxygen, so how does it burn? Right? And yet, it just keeps burning and burning and burning. Where is it ever going to stop? Where's the fuel coming from? That's how awesome our God is. When he creates, he creates things beyond our imagination. So already on day one, when he said, let there be light, my mind is going, wow, what an awesome God, right? There's light. And then he separates the firmament. So he separates heaven from earth on the second day. And then he goes on with creation, right? Starts creating, separating the seas and the, and the lands and creating an earth where his children can dwell on. And then he starts creating all the fish in the sea and all the creatures in the oceans starts creating the cosmos and all the, the stars and planets out there so that it can be a difference between night and day. And even that gets me thinking, it's like, wow. When he speaks, his word never returns void, right? So when he spoke the cosmos into being, to this very day, there's still planets being born out there because his word doesn't return void. The scientists will never find the end of the cosmos because it's still creating. Because when our God speaks... It happens, and it continues to happen. Do you know that every second of every day, a new sun is born somewhere out there in the cosmos? Now you look at our burning sun and how awesome it is. If you look at our sun, you have to picture it the size of a basketball. Earth would be the size of a pinhead next to that sun. That's how big our sun is. But yet there's suns being created every second that some of them even thousand times bigger than our own sun. Can you just imagine how awesome that is? from one word that God spoke. And so he continues to create, and he starts creating all the animals and, and, and all the herbs and the plants and trees and things for us to eat. So we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living creature or thing that moves on the earth. And, God's, and God said, See, I have given to you every herb that yields seeds which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast on the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. All right, so God creates us, his children, but he still needs to create a place for us to live called the Garden of Eden, and we're going to get that in Genesis 2. But yeah, I'm just looking at it when I read this part, and I realize that, you know, we were all vegetarians back then, <laughs> right? Because all we ate was herbs, 
must have been kind of boring, but it was good for them. <laughs> so we go on to Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because it is because in it he rested from all his work and God had created and made. This is a history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day of the Lord, God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So there we also see back in that time there was no rain, which is kind of interesting. There was a mist that came up from the earth that watered all the plants and all the herbs that we had. And God created us from the dust of the earth, right? He molded us in this clay, and then he breathed into Adam. And I can just imagine when, when Adam was there, the first thing that happened when he opened his eyes was, he saw his father smiling down at him because he had just breathed into his, his nostrils. And I can just imagine going, <gasps> you know, Yahweh, right? He breathed out the name of God, Yahweh. His father, his daddy was right there breathing into life into him. The Lord God planted a garden east, eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed, the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. When you're going to find that land. <laughs> and the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is a one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. It is a one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. We know the Euphrates because that goes right through the middle of Iraq where we had a, a huge war back then. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Again, just think back in that time, right? Here's God's new creation, Adam. God's creating this beautiful garden called Eden for him to go and live in and to till the land and to look after all the birds and the, you know, the animals there. But God gives him a beautiful gift to be able to name these creatures that he created. You know, I love hiking. Whenever time I go out and hike, I, I pray before I go on my hike. I say, Lord, can you show me something new in your creation today? Something I've never seen before. You know, pretty much every time I go on a hike, I see something new. Either a brand new flower I've never seen before, maybe an insect, maybe some kind of 
creatures scuttering around on the ground. There's just so much life out there. God created it all. And Adam got to name every one of them. I mean, how long did it take him to do that? <laughs> Can you imagine? Here comes Mr. Elephant. Like, hmm, elephant. Next. <laughs> you know? Obviously, you're speaking whatever language you spoke back then. But he got to name every one of these creatures that God had created. What a wonderful privilege, right? We co-create with him. He gave us the ability to create with him. We were, we were 20, right? So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe to man. I mean, woman. <laughs> Might be probably more like, whoa, man, right? Because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. All right, so now he has a helper. He's not alone anymore. And in this beautiful garden, and a picture of them in this garden. Number one, they were naked, which makes me think of three things. Number one, it wasn't cold. They didn't need clothes, right? So the temperature was perfect all the time. Probably wasn't any seasons then if there was no cold. Number two, there was no mosquitoes or biting insects because they didn't need clothes to cover themselves from them. If they were, they didn't suck blood. They probably sucked the sap from trees or plants. And third of all, they were not ashamed. There was no shame. There was no fallen nature of man. They were perfect. And being naked was just normal. Right? What a beautiful place to be, to be in this wonderful garden where there's this creation all around you, all these beautiful things God, God created, all these trees and these fruits and these herbs that you could eat, and just walking around enjoying life. Man, how glorious was that? There was no war. There was no sickness. There's no fighting. There's no strife between families. They hadn't had a family yet, but there was this man and woman, and they loved each other. Man, I'd, I'd give anything to go back to that, <laughs> right? Wouldn't you? But then we all know what happened, right? What happened next? One of those creatures that Adam named was called a snake, right? Miserable thing. And this snake comes and speaks to Eve and tells her to go and eat of the forbidden fruit. Now, that again makes me sit and ponder a little bit because I'm just such a scientific person in my mind, right? The fact that Eve spoke to a snake and it wasn't crazy for her, probably means all the animals could speak to us then, right? Because if the snake came and spoke to her, all of a sudden this was something out of the ordinary, she probably would have run in the opposite direction. But it was normal for her for the snake to speak to us. So it's probably like Narnia back then. There's probably lions talking to you and elephants and like, hey, how's it going today? You know? <laughs> That's the way my brain thinks anyway. And so the snake comes and deceives Eve and she takes of the forbidden fruit and all of a sudden her eyes are open she realizes she's naked, shame comes into her, and then she causes Adam to eat the fruit with her. And God casts him out of this beautiful garden that he created. And we have to toil and suffer from then on on the land. 
and no more could they enter that beautiful garden. And then we enter the new phase of man. Hardship, child labor, things that were difficult. And then it came all the laws that we had to follow. Tons and tons. If you ever read the Old Testament, man, there were so many laws. I'd be breaking a law every second of my day, I think. Because there's just too much to follow. And every time you broke a law, you had to go and kill one of your sheep to go and make penance for what you'd done to get forgiveness for your sin. I'd have been a poor man back then. All my sheep would have been slaughtered in the first two, two days, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because we all sin. We all fall short of his glory. We all miss a target. And so off went man, just toiling and toiling and, and, and going on and trying to be good and trying to do all these laws that God had put down for them. And most of them couldn't make it. All of them probably couldn't make it. They tried. And years and years went on, and then we get on to 8th, 8th century before Christ was born. There was a prophet called Isaiah that was around it. He started to prophesy of someone who was going to come and, and, and redeem us from this, this terrible curse that we're in to bring things new again, and he's going to be able to bring the new heaven and new earth that we can be in a place like Eden once again. Because the people's hearts were longing for that place that we were in. And so the Lord knew we needed a Savior. We needed someone to come rescue us from the sin that we were in and all these laws and stuff. So let's go to the book of Isaiah now. And uh, I'm actually going to help you. It's on page 654, Isaiah 2. You're going to have to wait for me. I lost my place. Okay, so this is a time now where things are pretty harsh. We're in a, a tough time. Uh, the northern part of Israel had been taken um, by the Assyrians. And the southern part of Judah was about to be sent into exile into Babylon. And here was this prophet Isaiah prophesying about the times that are going to come. So we pick up in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, was concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against the nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Right, so he's prophesying about a time that's going to come where the Lord's house is going to be lifted up above the mountains and there'll be no more war and there'll be peace. And everybody's obviously longing for that at this time because there's a lot of war happening in all these days especially now that they've been taken by Assyria and about to be sent into exile into Babylon. And so he prophesies this, and then he goes on later on in chapter 11, if you turn with me there, continues some of his prophecies. It's just a few pages on to 664. He prophesies about this Messiah that's going to come and save us. So 11, chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and an understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall, not, shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the child shall lead them, and the little child shall lead them. So he's talking about a time again where the animals are not going to munch each other, and they're going to be in peace. Mankind's going to be at peace, and even little children will be able to lead these lions and stuff around like it was in the Garden of Eden. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who will stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Right, so this is pretty profound. You're talking 800 years before Christ is born. He's prophesying the coming of Jesus, but he's going beyond that now. He's prophesying the end of time when the new heaven and the earth is going to come. And here he's saying that the Gentiles will, will call out to him. And, you know, back then, the Gentiles weren't even considered. We're the infidels, the unbelievers, right? Be forsaken. And only 800 years later do the Gentiles start coming into the kingdom. So this is a pretty cool prophecy of the times to come. And so here we are in this fallen state that we are in now, right now. We're kind of in between the beginning when things were created, and we're all looking forward to the time when Jesus will return in his second coming and bring the new heaven and earth. And so our hearts should be pondering on this and, and calling out and praying for this to happen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. Come save your people. No one knows the day or time when Jesus comes back. Yeah, it's going to be a glorious day, and it's going to be pretty horrendous as well if we read Revelation. But if you want to know what the new heaven and earth looks like, the, uh, in Revelations 21 and 22, it speaks a lot about that. I'm not going to read that either, because that's some long chapters, and it'll take all morning, right? But if you want to know what it's going to be like, it's going to be a, a glorious place, and we're going to reign with Christ in those days. And so as we're in this time at Advent and looking forward to the birth of Christ, which is going to happen obviously on Christmas Day, we ponder the beginning of where we came from and why we needed Jesus. Because we messed up in the garden, we were tossed out, and God knew that we needed somebody to redeem us and help us and come and set us free and to save us. Right? And so that's what Advent is about. We're looking forward to this. And in this first week of Advent, we're looking forward to the coming of the new kingdom and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I'd encourage you this week to go out and, and think about the beginning. Go and read Genesis. Go and think about creation. My scientific mind is still trying to figure stuff out. You know, it's just so much out there. Just the, the, the space between time and continuum, it just doesn't make sense in a lot of our heads, right? Have you ever seen some of those things on YouTube where they, they zoom out of Earth and they go out into the cosmos and the Earth gets smaller and smaller and becomes this little speck and then you don't even see the speck anymore and then you see the galaxy that we're in and it keeps panning out and panning out and panning out and all of a sudden our galaxy becomes that little speck and there's a whole lot of galaxies. 
and the pain out of that, and it just keeps going and going and going. And we're such a small little speck in all that. I mean, we're nothing. We're just a piece of dust, you know? That's how big our God is. And yet then you look at that YouTube video, and they pan back towards Earth, and you start going through all those galaxies and coming back to our solar system. And then we see Earth, and it gets big. But then they go right into Earth, and they start going to the quantum world. And they start going in the opposite direction, the quantum world, and how much there is in the quantum side of things. From the atoms, protons, quarks, and they go beyond that. And there's just so much. That's how big our God is. And so go and contemplate on that. Contemplate on what Garden of Eden was like. Long for that again in your hearts. Long for the new kingdom to come. And be thankful and say, come, Lord Jesus. Come rescue us once again. So I'm going to close now. It was a quick one, so we can go and have some food. (laughs) Um, I'm going to end with a prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, come, renew us this day, Lord. Renew the hope for the new heaven and the earth in which you will reign in and light, where there will be light and we will live in peace. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, our coming King. Amen. So we're going to have communion now to celebrate Jesus' coming, that he came to rescue us from our sin. And that's what the table represents. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us to bring healing. By his stripes we are healed. His blood brings us forgiveness of sins. By his stripes, you know, as as I said, we were healed and, and forgiven of our sins. We were adopted as sons and daughters into his kingdom, and he's given us access back to the Father. For the word of God said, there's no way, you know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father but through me, right? He's given us the access back to the Father because we lost that communication with the Father when we left the Garden of Eden. And through his Holy Spirit, now we have communion once again with the Father. And so we celebrate this together. So how we do it here in the vineyard is we come down, there's two separate lines, that's for those that believe in Christ and those who want to start believing in Christ, you're welcome to the table. Come down, grab your bread, dip it in the wine, and then go around on the outsides back to your seat, and then we'll pray together and take communion together. Thanks, you can come, come forward.
Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you that you came to rescue us from ourselves, Lord, to take away the sin of the world. Father, you took it upon yourself that we may be free. We may have access to the Father and eternal life in you. Father, we take this communion now in remembrance of you in Jesus' mighty name. gave you the, the gift of time. It's five past 11. Kids' church is still going. They've got a movie going until 11.30, so we can have some time of fellowship together. Let's get to know people that we don't know. Let's fellowship till around 11.30. If you want to stick around for lunch or if you want to go home now, you're welcome to go home. But those who want to stay for lunch, let's fellowship until 11.30, and then we can go down and, and enjoy our meal together, Okay. So bless you, have a wonderful day, and thank you for coming to church this morning. Bless you all. Amen.